This is Dan Mendes coming off of a great interview with Tom Adams, the former CEO of Rosetta Stone and currently the co-founder and CEO of Pedigo. Pedigo reminds me of this great line from Peter Thiel where he says that this, a startup is the expression of a secret of some kind. The founding team knows something that the rest of the world doesn't and is turning that into a company that it, uh, can do something new and special in the world. Pedigo's secret is about how people learn. And they have, uh, I believe, having tried their product and seen it in action and seen the results, uh, just a better way for people to learn. And uh, their first product is an MBA program that's highly selective, takes you know top uh, level students and says, hey, you can get your MBA on a mobile app. Do it in your own time uh, and it'll happen better, faster, cheaper than a traditional MBA program. I think Tom is an incredibly interesting guy Pedigo is an incredibly interesting company. Uh, folks who believe the glass is half full will say, what a, what a great innovation in learning. Uh, glass half empty view is, how in the heck have we spent so much time and energy and money educating ourselves the way we have to date? Uh, but however you view it, I, I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. And here we go. Tom Adams, co-founder and CEO of Smartly, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for uh, inviting me in, Dan. So we're going to talk about a whole lot of things, but let's just start with what is Smartly? Yeah, so Smartly is essentially trying to change how people learn uh, and also how they use that learning to get into jobs. So it's a play on education for employment, um, which is uh, something that others are working on, but we're trying to do something even more uh, dramatic. What led you to found it? So um, I originally had been sort of working at Rosetta Stone. I'd run that company for about a decade and um, sort of sat down wondering, you know, how to leverage the learning that I had about learning uh, and teamed up with Alexi and Ori. Um, and um, we talked a little bit about what we were going to do. Our view was that uh, the pedagogy, the way people were being taught uh, in online universities and in sort of MOOCs that were kind of the rage a few years ago uh, was just not good. Uh, it's not the way we like to learn. And so we knew we would be able to make an impact there. So that was kind of the, the, the beginning was that we thought or we were convinced that we had a better way to teach. And so you were CEO of Rosetta Stone for a decade. What were the learnings that came out of that experience that, that led you to say there's, there's a better way here? Yeah, so Rosetta Stone as a learning platform is highly interactive and really drives and thrives on feedback that we give learners when they're learning. Uh, so there's an interaction with great frequency and actually in Smartly it's uh, every eight seconds and we've measured it and, and it's sort of consistently uh, like that. And the reason feedback is so important is that when you're learning you kind of are much better at it when you're engaged and you're building your own hypothesis in your mind and then uh, you get an immediate sort of validation of that theory or you know correction and so it's like learning by doing and so we we do that in the business world when we're working with a mentor when we have a good boss that tells us how we could do it better um, but in education too often it's essentially uh, a broadcast the professor is explaining something and you don't have the back and forth. 
So I'm, I'm imagining the traditional classroom, I could easily sit through a 60, 90 minute class and be completely spacing out, right? I'm, the broadcast is coming to me, but I'm not paying attention to it at all. Then you go, you know, uh, five years ago, something along those lines, you had the rise of the MOOC. Um, and now it's basically taking top classes at universities, top professors, putting them online. Uh, and there's some back and forth there. It's, uh, there's some quizzes and so forth every five minutes, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now I think I, you're taking that and saying, no, it's not... Five, every five or ten minutes, it's every eight seconds yeah. that there's feedback, there's interaction. How do you, how, what do you say to people who say, that sounds like a barrage, that sounds like I'm under attack here, or too much? What, um, what, well, what's your response? Well, it's, um, it's not too much. People love uh, doing our lessons because effectively uh, it's much more akin to playing a game. Uh, it's they make a move and the system responds, and based on that, they can make the next move. And so uh, we actually like interacting that way. People have talked about gamification in learning for a long time. I think that game, you know, learning is not a game, but there are some aspects to what makes us love games is also why we love learning when it's done well. And so the reason it actually feels quite easy to the learner is that um, it's very self-paced. So if you have to process for 20 seconds, that's what you do. Um, it's essentially just challenging you and you, you react at your own pace. It just so happens most people are able to react within a sort of narrow band of time, but it feels very much like you're in control. With the MOOCs and with the video method, with the video professors and the quizzes, it's very much testing for comprehension. And comprehension is not that valuable in life. No one really pays you because you understand how the world works. That might be in a think tank here in DC or something. But most people pay you because you're able to do something. And doing something is something that you learn by doing it. And um, the MOOCs simply are detached from that reality. And uh, our system, I think, thrives because effectively, if you're doing you know, evaluation, you're in the spreadsheet entering uh, formulas and you're seeing how it works. And every eight seconds, it's, it's um, evolving. And by being so hands-on, we have no uh, slippage in the learning. There's no gaps because effectively it's a building block method. You're learning this and once you know that, you can do that. And so there's an enormous sense of success. So most of, you know, I often get the question, why do, you know, how do the assessments work and so on? And because we're so interactive, we, we're actually constantly assessing the learner and constantly giving them feedback and adapting to them effectively. And, and that is what makes it so pleasurable uh, for the learner is that they're feeling that they're progressing, they're learning. So you have this insight based on your time at Rosetta Stone uh, that this active learning methodology is superior to, to what we traditionally do out, uh, out in the world when we educate students or educate ourselves. Um, sounds like a good theory. You know, is there evidence that it actually works better? Sure. So actually we've done... Um, We've done lots of testing, obviously, of the platform, but there are two significant studies that have been uh, carried out. One was done by some Stanford PhDs that um, essentially looked at our students, um, people who had never studied the subjects we were teaching, uh, and they did a before and after. And obviously, there's, there's, there's an improvement. But more importantly, they asked students currently studying at business schools like uh, Harvard, Harvard or uh, Stanford, and they sort of tested them too. And the stunning thing is our students actually perform better. 
So on subjects like accounting and finance, statistics, things like that that are quantitative, we actually beat the best of the best uh, even today. Um, the second study, which we're just completing now, is we, uh, we took Khan Academy um, um, and we took uh, edX uh, with a Stanford professor teaching uh, a statistics course, essentially the same material, and uh, we compared them to Smartly. We gave them three times more hours to complete the course. Students going through Khan Academy and going through edX, 3x the time and our students outperform. And we had more students that had um, um, only high school education. And the other significant um, score we got was that the standard deviation on our students was half that of Khan Academy. So why that's important is that we spend a lot of time in policy here in DC at the Department of Education worrying about no child left behind or things like that. Well, that's just because we have a high standard deviation in our educational system today, and we're shrinking that dramatically. So you have, with your essentially a mobile application, have beaten Stanford professors, Harvard Business School students, better outcomes in way less time. Why isn't this front page of the New York Times? Well, because we've sort of held back, because we think the formula is much bigger than that. When you when you think of um, what is embedded, um, there's a, one of our advisors, Michael Horn, and he talks about the unbundling of um, higher ed. And so when you go to a college or a, you, know, uh, you do a master's degree somewhere, it's not just the learning that you get. You get the network, you get the connection with other students, obviously, the alumni, and you get career services. And so we think it's got to be a total formula where uh, an offering like ours with will only truly deliver the revolutionary benefit that we know will be there because our pedagogy is so strong. Once we have those aspects uh, really working, um, we've built already a career service and we're able to reach out to all sorts of companies and they have a positive experience at the moment. Uh, we have lots of things to make it even better. Um, and then on the, um, on the social side between the students, we have a tremendous amount of activity, uh, but we also see lots of opportunity for improving that. So let's talk about your current business. It's an MBA program. It is purely based on a mobile device, um, content that you've created using this active learning methodology. But talk to us. Let's say I'm a student. I'm thinking about whether or not to get an MBA. What, you know, how are you approaching me competing against Harvard Business School? So um, what's interesting is uh, many people, especially um, in the technology industry, are, um, you know, are real busy in their 20s. There's a lot of things they can do. And one of the choices they're always presented with is taking two years out and going off to business school in the Northeast or somewhere far away. And um, our biggest segment is actually um, computer scientists uh, working at top companies uh, in Silicon Valley. It's over 40% of our students are, are of that makeup. And for them, the formula is simple. Uh, by, by doing smartly, they're essentially learning the same stuff as they would at a business school. They're foregoing some of the sort of brand value that was associated with some of those old institutions. Um, they're foregoing some of the softer services and, and networking, um, but we're free. We don't cost them anything. And you know, an MBA basically costs $200,000 when you add it all up. So the value's 
tremendous. And when our students get in, what they realize is that we have a very uh, similar selection policy and practice to what the top schools have. So then then blown away by the caliber of the other students. And they do meetups and connect with each other and, and discuss the cases they're studying or their aspirations. Um, so what we're seeing is that the value proposition for students um, already is compelling. Um, we think it's going to be even more compelling, obviously, over time. So uh, what kind of, um, you know, give us, some, give us some data. How many students, how long does it take them? Um, what, you know, what kind of graduation rates are you getting? Yeah, so we're, um, we're still pretty small. Uh, we have, uh, but we are probably close to being the biggest business school uh, that's got elite students. Uh, so we have 680 students right now uh, that are studying in the program. Um, we have graduated this year already 300. That would put us at 980 students. Um, you know, Harvard is the biggest school uh, in the world. They have about 1,100 students a year. So we're and in I, the as, as a Harvard Business School graduate, I hate it when people bring that up because it, 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 you know, it feels like it's all watered down, too, too, too easy to get in. But no, no, it is true. It's a big no, class. No, it's, um, and it's, it's great. But um, anyway, so we, we've, we've managed to do a good job in our first year. But we think uh, the trajectory is actually not just to um, enroll more students in our MBA program, but also to roll out a lot of certificates. We've got a business certificate that we have just rolled out in beta which will essentially uh, engage students that are between zero and two years of work experience. Uh, and it's an idea to give them a real career head start. Um, we've also rolled out an executive MBA. That is for people who have about you know, 10 years or more of work experience. And um, that also includes sort of social meetups that we organize where we actually do a weekend where people fly in from all over the world. Um, and uh, yeah, and we, we think that this whole mix of um, education, which will eventually include things like uh, you know computer science, uh, will be the basis for um, not just providing education, but actually providing a new form of connecting with other people. Um, it's quite hard when when you leave college uh, to make new friendships. It's not as intimate, maybe. Yeah, how you so, socialize with people. So I, I, you know, I remember uh, Reid Hoffman talking about why he launched LinkedIn. Um, and one of the things he said, he said, I have a lot of friends right now. I'm too, and I'm frankly, I'm too busy for the friends I have. So I don't need another app uh, and to help me make friends. What I need is something to help me in, with my business relationships. So that, that was a big part of the uh, the founding of, of LinkedIn, which is a, a tool that uh, so many of us use now. So I guess I'm curious how, you know, how do you, how do you see yeah. the the future of this shared, uh, you know, uh, learning experience that happens largely largely in a virtual manner. How, how does that lead to business connectivity and relationships over time? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, the pretext of education has always been the basis for some of the best relationships uh, that we build. Like many of us sort of go back to, to our alma mater because that's where we'll find our best friends. And so my, one of the things we're exploring here is can one do that again? Can we give people another run at those types of relationships? And um, what is it about education that makes it possible? Obviously, we would all have a thesis about, you know, large consumptions of alcohol being helpful or 
you know, um, fun trips together, whatever. Um, but I think that having a shared learning experience actually opens the mind uh, to new relationships. And um, Reid Hoffman may have said that he had too many friends, but at the same time, I think that many of us wish we could make new friendships. And when we eventually do, um, we find it incredibly rewarding because it really enriches and, and broadens our lives. And what we're seeing uh, with our students already, and again, this is a part of the offering that we haven't totally built out yet. Um, I mean, it's live, but it's sort of licensed software from other people. Um, what we're seeing is that people truly uh, are meeting, discussing. We have students who are flying through DC and want to come and visit us here because they, they essentially build a bond with the brand, with the, the, the learners. And, you know, we had someone here last week who, you know, visited us and then went to have dinner with another student. Uh, so it's, there's something about what we're doing that, that's got this promise that it won't just help people learn and develop themselves and, uh, you know, get on in their careers, but also potentially build friendships. Uh, so uh, if I'm uh, thinking about donating to Harvard Business School, should I hold off because it's just going to be disrupted by, uh, you know, by, by software? Yeah. So I was, I was thinking about um, Harvard Business School with uh, their $40 billion endowment or whatever, massive Yeah, it's, a, fin it's a financial it institution with a sort yeah. of, some buildings <laughs> attached to it. So uh, I'm definitely not going to criticize uh, great institutions like Harvard and so on. Obviously, they've done a lot to evolve thinking through their research and their students have done amazingly well and, and done great things for the world. Um, I think that, um, you know, like any good disruption, a lot of what we're doing is literally opening up space for new customers into the category. Um, if you think of a lot of our users, they are programmers at Google or Facebook and they would not go to Harvard Business School they want to do a startup. They just want some business skills so that they can be, you know, a more active or capable co-founder of a company. So I think that, you know, people who would otherwise not go off and learn, you know, the, the core elements of business strategy or how you value a company and, um, and all of that kind of stuff, uh, they now have a way. And, uh, you know, there's only, um, I don't know, a few thousand people a year that graduate from, you know, the top 20 business schools. Um, and yet demand is unbelievable. There's uh, over 300 million people, according to our studies, that have a very strong interest in getting an MBA. And again, we're much more than that. We're rolling out certificates in marketing and finance and, you know, eventually computer science. Um, so there's enormous appetite. And again, I don't think this is a matter of you know, the top institutions struggling um, because they have 10 times more applicants than they have places. So they're not going to, you know, they're not going to collapse overnight or, you know, and they have, you know, some of these institutions have invested in online learning. Uh, it's not as good as ours and it won't, you know, our evolution will be very strong, I think. Um, but, yeah, I would not bet against Harvard Business School. <laughs> Uh, well, when I was actually with some, some business school classmates at, uh, going to a wedding of another classmate in India, we actually played a drinking game together traveling around. We'd drink every time we saw a business school. Um, and there was, 
<laughs> you know, every third block, it seemed like there was this little, you know, storefront effectively saying, saying there, it's a business school. And so, but it, are those the, you know, are, are those kind of in-person institutions, not just in business schools, yeah. but other, other kinds of educational institutions, are they going to go by the wayside or should they go by the wayside because a teacher with a piece of chalk in front of a classroom is going to uh, stack up miserably against uh, yeah. against what you have created here. Yeah. So I do think um, I do think we're going to be a better value uh, for learners. Um, again, you know, I think that there's all these other components parts that we are building out that are important. Um, you know, is this a winner take all category? I guess is your question. And I think that it could be, because uh, I think that the network effects ultimately, um, you know, are significant. It's not, you know, it's not like the, the biggest school wins or else we wouldn't sort of hold up, you know, some of these elite institutions so highly. But it's kind of a combination of, you know, scale combined with quality. And and when you, when you can get that um, to work, then I think uh, the potential for what we're working on is massive. Because ultimately, if, if we can not just teach you, but connect you with other students and connect you with alumni who will be favorably inclined the same way you, know, you are when someone calls you from Harvard Business School, you are very, very open to talking to them. And, That's true. And um, you, know, you just assume people are good. And, um, and that gives them career opportunity. And when we can really deliver um, lots of career opportunity for people and it doesn't cost them anything and it's very fast and it's on your mobile and it's fun, by the way. Our students love it. Uh, we'll be big. And so when you look at the current landscape of online learning, uh, there are some... Um, that like um, edX and Coursera and so forth, where it's the elite professors who are creating the content um, and that, that students are consuming. There are other platforms where anyone can create content, uh, and then sort of, and then it's marketed out um, more broadly. And I'm curious how you you see that evolving with this far more active learning platform. Yeah. So, so I think that there's a, a commercial play uh, certainly in leveraging the old brands. In new platforms, so you're seeing that with Coursera, the fact that they put a Wharton, um, you know, logo next to a course makes people much likelier to take it seriously and to spend time doing it. the The issue for me is that um, leaning back and listening to somebody describe something isn't an effective way to learn. And I don't think those of us who were lucky to go to, you know, a great learning institute uh, would describe um, would describe the professor and the lecture as why we think that experience was so powerful. It's almost the opposite. We went to the lectures, you know, to sort of either do a case discussion where the students are really contributing, or we would go and do a simulation, or we would work on a project. But it was the active learning inside the school that, that was good. And what literally surprises me so much about this traditional approach um, that's gone into the MOOCs is that I don't think the professors believe in the MOOCs. Pro the good professors are very active uh, you know, trainers of their students' thinking. 
they sort of ask you Socratically to explain why you're thinking what you're thinking and they're trying to get to root causes. And, you know, they are very active moderators of a discussion. And so why those would then sort of do a talking head video is beyond me. But that has been the trend. Because Everyone likes to be on easy. TV. Well, it's been Flatters your ego. Uh, it's, it's been what's been easiest to execute, I think. So I think that all of those will be like, like my, my view is that they are like the fax machine. It will not be something that makes sense to people in 10 years from now. Like watching a video professor for 20 hours is dead. It, it just, people will continue producing it. Humans have it, just as we have a learning instinct, like we know how to learn incredibly well. We have a teaching instinct. And uh, many of us wanna waffle on, just like I'm doing right now, and tell you exactly how I've figured it out. And so the, the teaching instinct will exist. But I mean, like, on the consumption side, will people learn this way? No. It's, it's, it's a relic already today. So 10 years from now, what does Smartly look like? So I think that the, you know, the, the individualized discovery-based learning, um, we sort of have down. It's very efficient. Um, the feedback is extremely targeted. There's opportunities for us to make it more adaptive, have uh, you know more um, rich cases, uh, potentially more content and things like that. But essentially, I think the opportunity for us is the social and more of the project and simulation-oriented learning. So, if you think of what we've built today, it's a learning engine, and what we want to have is the sort of practicing and enrichment piece. Will that involve, you know, virtual reality? Well, for some subjects, obviously it should. Uh, so if you're, if, you know, if you're looking around at sort of interesting things in EdTech, there are already people using VR for medicine. Um, so that, that, I would assume, is, is a kind of technology that will, will embrace for the right uh, subject. But in other subjects, the right simulation might be that you're, you know, you're running a, a company and you get financial results and, you don't need VR to have a good simulator, um, but it will be that increasingly uh, team-based, much more uh, around uh, humans uh, collaborating on stuff, uh, because those skills are extremely important. We have to do whatever we can to replicate the dynamics that many of us have experienced being so powerful in the real world. So sitting here in, a, uh, in your office um, uh, as a startup, you're aiming to build the best business school in the world um, without these 100-year-old institutional brand names. That's right. And, you know, we've, we've had these discussions about, you know, should we call it something different than Smartly? Um, you know, should we call it the, the Smith School of Business or something like that? Uh, the problem with that is you're playing into uh, these traditional paradigms and I don't think it's necessary. Our students are amazing. They're elite. They have gone to the MITs or the Stanfords of the world. They love Smartly. And um, as more and more of them have it, it'll become the normal thing. Um, I'm uh, even projecting that you know within a few years, we'll be graduating five times as many or 10 times as many students from our MBA as you know, the top traditional schools. And when we do that, 
the odds that you meet somebody in Silicon Valley that's very capable, that they have a Smartly MBA rather than a Harvard MBA, you'll see a lot of the Smartly MBA. And that, that builds your brand. And you know, to some extent, this is ultimately a brand war. And um, from our perspective, competing on things where we just cannot compete, Ivy, beautiful college buildings, uh, you know, robes at the graduation ceremony, it's just the wrong basis. I think a lot of for-profit schools went there initially because they thought that if they just looked like they could be legitimate. For us, legitimacy comes from you try us, you learn with us, um, you know, you can just sample us in 10 minutes, but I would suggest like do a couple of hours and the results are off the charts and then you know this is better. Tom Adams, thanks so much for spending a little time with me today. Thank you.